welcome to Basic Bible 101. If you are joining us for the first time, uh, we are starting an entire new section, and this is the New Testament of the Bible. If you uh, are, have no particular preference, I would suggest that you start with the Old Testament and listen to those podcasts first. Those of you that have been through the Old Testament will be very glad that we are now into the New Testament and finally finish the Old Testament. Uh, for the first lesson, uh, usually I cover what is basic Bible. And for those of you that are just starting with the New Testament, I would recommend that you go back and listen to the very first podcast. And it covers such things as what is expected from this course and some of the things that you will learn, where we got the Bible, uh, what the scriptures, uh, how they, who wrote them, and how they came through the centuries to the, uh, the way they are now, why there's different supposedly versions of the Bible. It's really just different translations or different um, uh, preferences as far as devotions that are put in them and such. Uh, but go ahead and go back and listen to that very first lesson so that you will understand what the Bible is and what we are trying to accomplish in this class. Okay, when we left off with the Old Testament, the Jewish uh, children of Israel or the Jewish um, people had just returned to their homeland in Israel and were beginning to rebuild, re, uh, there were new settlements, they had finished the wall around Jerusalem and now a period of about 400 years has gone past. At the end of the Old Testament we heard lots of prophets talking about the coming Messiah and how God would restore his people and then there's a, just a time when there are no prophets speaking. If there were, they were not recorded. And so we have this as just a time of silence in Scripture, and it's for the last 400 years of the Old Testament. So that when we begin the New Testament, we are starting at a point where the people have not really been uh, able to hear a true prophet from God. Instead, they have tried to stick with what the last thing they were told. And the, what you can say in favor of the Israelites is that they obeyed the, the promises that they made at the end of the Old Testament. They, uh, some anyway, uh, remained faithful to their God and uh, began to do the things that God had asked them and became faithful in their um, pursuit of spiritual things. Now because of that, their there was a group of people who were very good at this. They were just naturally religious. And I'm sure that today we can relate. We have people who seem naturally religious and church is sort of for them. Um, on the other hand, there was the everyday person. And they, though they believed in God, just didn't practice it the way the good people uh, Pharisees did. And we I'm calling them Pharisees because that's what they were known as. There was basically two major religious um, groups who were considered the uh, religious leaders. And the one group was the Pharisees. And they were one, uh, a group of men who had taken all of the scripture and really applied it so much so that they wrote some of their own rules that were even more strict than the ones that we see in the Bible. Then there's another group of religious leaders, and they're the Sadducees. The Sadducees are more of a political 
um, ruling group. And they are the ones who more or less direct what's happening in Israelite uh, politics. Now, at the time of the New Testament, well, it, let's start at the end of the Old Testament, Israel had been taken over by, and by first by Babylon, then by Syria, then by the Medes and Persians. During the time of that 400 years, they are taken over by the Greeks and eventually taken over by Rome. We know that in about 285 BC, the Old Testament began to be translated into Greek and the different versions of the scripture at that point were called the Septuagint because there was 70 Hebrew scholars that came together and pulled together the different uh, books and scrolls and everything that were considered scripture. Now it's about this time that Syria is rattling their swords again and Palestine is taken over by Antiochus Epiphanes who is the uh, king of Syria. This lasts for a little while until the Jews just get tired of it and they do not want anyone to rule over them anymore and so there's a revolt that takes place in about 164 BC by a Jewish family called the Maccabees and the Maccabees decide that we can rule ourselves, Israel needs to be an independent nation and so they fight and win their freedom. So Israel is its own nation again for just about a hundred years. And then at the end of that time, they are taken over by Rome. At this point in time, Rome is taking over most of the known world. And so Israel, Pal all of Palestine is just one more casualty in their march across the known world. And so it's in, in 63 BC that Rome has said, you know, this is our possession and they put their people in place. They tried to, to, for the most part, to work with the local governments. So that's why the Sadducees had a certain amount of power because they negotiated with Rome and Rome gave them really quite a bit of freedom to practice their religion and such. Okay, at this time, and we're looking at 63 BC, so we're not very far from when Jesus is about to be uh, born. And, and we see that there, uh, the Jews have been looking for this promised Messiah. Now they've been waiting for him for years, many years, and yet, and they've heard, you know, they read scripture and they've heard that he should be coming. But um, the Jews begin to really pray that there would be a Messiah because Rome gets more and more restrictive of them and they end up having to pay heavy taxes. If you know any very much about the Roman history, there's a time in Roman history towards the end when the fall of the uh, Roman Empire where they're just cash short. They need money to fund their armies, to build the roads, to keep the city public works going and so they begin to heavily tax all of the countries that they have uh, conquered and of course Palestine is one of them and so Palestine ends up being heavily taxed and I don't know about you but I know even in America we do not like taxes if we can avoid them we try I don't know anybody who's just enjoys paying their taxes uh, but on the other hand we realize that taxes are necessary to enjoy the kind of uh, benefits that we all have fresh water streets to drive on etc well unfortunately for 
Jerusalem and for the uh, Palestine at the time, they didn't get a lot of those benefits from the taxes. It all was taken back to Rome. So it made them very resentful. In fact, so much so that they really wanted to uh, revolt as they had a hundred years before and uh, rule themselves. So that's why when they talked about a Messiah, many of the, is, the Jews at the time, the Israelites, believed that it would be a powerful ruler who could come in and help deliver them from the um, oppressive Rome. Much the same as Moses was back when they were under the oppression of Egypt. And those of you that have read the Old Testament and covered that with us, you know about those stories. Those that are just covering the New Testament, um, that happens back in the book of Exodus. Okay, so in the Old Testament, at the end of the Old Testament, with, through several of the prophets, there were signs that would lead the people to find who is this new, this coming Messiah. Some of them are Micah 5.2. Micah was one of the prophets then, and he wrote, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So we learn something about Bethlehem, that Bethlehem will play a part in the beginning of this uh, Messiah to come. Malachi 3.1 says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, who you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So we know that there's going to be somebody coming ahead saying, get ready, he's almost here, and then very quickly there will be the Messiah. All right, in Isaiah 9, 6, we hear, For unto us is born, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Okay, if you were just reading that, you would say, okay, he's going to have his own government, and he's going to uh, rule just like David and, and Solomon did, uh, over establishing justice and righteousness over all the land forever. And yet, we know, because we know history that that wasn't the case that when the messiah came he wasn't this wasn't meant literally he wasn't really coming to be a political ruler as such uh, over a kingdom his kingdom was the kingdom of god as we'll speak of later is within it's a spiritual renewal of the people it is a kingdom that never ends everlasting so it's not the kind of kingdom that you might suppose it would be from reading this. Okay, Isaiah 7:14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. All right, once again we see, okay, there's going to be a virgin with a son. S symptoms and signs. When we read the passage in uh, Isaiah just a minute ago where he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, do those phrases sound familiar? We read, we sing them frequently in a lot of our um, songs around Christmas time. So there was a sense that this new uh, redeemer, the one who would come and save the, his people, 
would be a very great uh, Prince of Peace. I mean, he would be a wonderful counselor, all the things that we know Jesus to, uh, to be. Okay, finally in Isaiah 43, it says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Uh, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. So there is a call of one in the wilderness who's saying, Be ready, he's coming. All right, if you'd read those things and had studied them all of your life and uh, your grandparents and great-great-grandparents had told you about it and so you were expecting this Messiah at any time. Upon the scene then comes a man who starts telling people the kingdom of God is at hand. And his name is John. Uh, we will refer to him as John the Baptist because what he would do is preach to the people. He was a prophet of sorts because he was one calling out to the people saying, get ready, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, the Messiah is coming, and, the, and you, you know, confess your sins and prepare the way. And so many people would come to John and he would baptize them and it was an outward symbol of their cleansing of their sins. They were preparing their hearts. So John became very popular and because of this it got him in a lot of trouble. Now let's look back and see uh, how did John get his start? What, you know, how did all this happen? But first I need to explain a little bit about the New Testament. When we covered the Old Testament, we covered it chronologically. which And for the most part, the Old Testament is chronological, but there are some places where it isn't. And so we went ahead and covered everything in sequence and sometimes had to go back and pick up a few books, specifically like... Esther and Nehemiah and Ezra, those books were actually, they appear in the Old Testament before some of the books that actually uh, came before them. So that's why we did that a little bit differently. Well, when we cover the New Testament, it will be quite different because if you look at your New Testament, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are referred to as the Gospels. There's basically four accounts of who Jesus was, how he came, what he said, what he did, what it meant, uh, what it meant to the particular author of that book. So the first four books we're going to cover at the same time and that means we're going to skip around between them. But our purpose is to get snapshots of who this Jesus was. Now ideally you will go back and read through and study all four of these Gospels independently. But for now, I'm going to give you passages in all four of them as homework every day. And it will re what it will do is somewhat follow the life of Jesus chronologically. Now remember, he only preaches on the earth for three years. So what basically what we will do is divide up this time from when he is born, uh, when he begins his ministry, uh, as the ministry is growing, what he was teaching, uh, at, at when it's at its height and the miracles that he does, and then the switch in the people and the change that takes place that lead up to the, cruci the crucifixion and resurrection. So that's why there are, I think, six lessons over the life of Jesus. And then we move into the early church. So we um, which begins with the book of Acts. And from there, then we start talking about the letters. Most of the books after that are letters. And then finally, the last few chap uh, few books of the, old, of the New Testament. So 
At this point, uh, we are going to look at Luke 1. We're going to start with the book of Luke. Okay, I know that the New Testament starts with Matthew and Mark, <laughs> so before we even get to Luke. But the story in Luke seems to be the most um, detailed, and that's why we're going to cover it in the book of Luke. The same story is in the other four Gospels, and it behooves you to go ahead and read those accounts because it will give you um, a much richer um, appreciation for what is happening and what people are seeing and experiencing. It's kind of like if you saw some kind of event take place. Uh, let's say you saw lights in the sky and it looked like a UFO of some kind. Everybody who saw it will have a different spin on it. They will have been in a different place. They'll have seen it from a different angle. They'll have, the lighting may have been different. And so each one will have a story that will enrich the actual experience. In the same way, that's what the four Gospels are going to do. So if you will turn to Luke 1, we're going to look at the first four verses for a minute. And it says, if you have the student Bible, I guess I should have covered this, sorry. Those of you that are just starting with the New Testament, I use the student Bible, which you can, it's a Zondervan Bible that you can order on Amazon or pick up at a local Bible bookstore. You can use any version that really that you want as long as it's a genuine version of scripture and not um, I kind of discourage people from using a paraphrase and when I say paraphrase I mean something like the living Bible or the good news but honestly if you want if you feel better about reading it and that that's great I just want to encourage you to um, do your study for the most part serious study should be done in something that's pretty close to the original okay so it says many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word therefore since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning it seems good also to me to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught Okay, immediately we learn that this book is being written to a gentleman named Theophilus. And that Theophilus is curious and has been taught things about this person Jesus. And there's little bits and pieces of information from different sources. And Luke's goal is to gather those together and write one complete, concise picture of what really actually happened. So from here, Luke goes on to explain um, there was there was a man named Zechariah who was a priest in Israel at the time King Herod is ruling Palestine, and some strange things happened. Uh, he went into the temple, and while he was in there, in um, he saw an angel, and the angel told him that his wife was going to have a baby. Now, Zechariah's wife had been infertile for many years. Obviously, they'd hoped for a child, but it hadn't happened. So Zachariah asked how he could be sure of this and the angel said to him I am Gabriel sent by God now you'll be silent until the baby is born. So it kind of reminds us that maybe we shouldn't talk back to God but now Zachariah has this experience and sure enough he can't talk so he knows he really is going to have a son. So when he gets home, sure enough, he talks to Elizabeth, his wife, and discovers that she's pregnant, and they're very happy about it, and so they begin to prepare for this child. Now they've been told that they are to prepare for him by setting him, just consecrating him to the Lord, 
by um, never cutting his hair and not ever giving him anything from the vine, uh, like wine or grape juice or anything like that, um, he's going to be a Nazarite. And if you remember, Samson in the Old Testament was also set aside in the same way and was considered a Nazarite. So now uh, Mary, not Mary, Elizabeth is out working one day and she's pregnant and um, her cousin Mary shows up and uh, as soon as she sees her, the baby within her leaps. And so Elizabeth suspects that there is something special about Mary and when she uh, talks to Mary, Mary confirms that she is pregnant and she's pregnant with the Son of God. Now what had happened was Mary had been visited by an angel and told that she was going to um, have a son. Now she wasn't quite as excited about it as Zachariah because she had, um, she was not married and so had not had sex and so she was wondering what this could mean but the angel had told her that this would be the son of God now fortunately the angel showed up to visit her fiance Joseph as well so that he agreed to go ahead and marry her he didn't believe didn't think that she had been unfaithful to him and so they just didn't consummate the marriage until um, after the baby was born now it's about this time that the Romans have required everyone to go back to their birthplace and pay special taxes and so for Joseph that was back to Bethlehem so they head back to Bethlehem when Mary is quite great with child and uh, when they get there there's no room and obviously there's lots of people in Bethlehem and so he just finally begs and an innkeeper lets them stay in his barn and it is that night that the baby Jesus is born and so our Christmas stories show Jesus born in the barn and laying in the manger the the trough where the animals would um, eat from and so this is the picture that we see usually at Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and then we usually see uh, shepherds uh, and wise men and angels. The thing is these th events took place at different times. Well, When the child is born they wrap him up, they say they wrap him in swaddling clothing, they basically wrap him up pretty tight and because it's cold and then um, they await to see what's going to happen. Well the miraculous thing is at the same time that this child is born uh, shepherds are on the hills around the outside of Bethlehem and they see this amazing light in the sky and all these angels and the angels are singing and then there's this uh, kind of they're shocked and they've actually they're very much afraid and so they can't figure out what's going on but the angels are telling them that the Savior has been born that the Messiah has come and because that's a big event they've been waiting for these shepherds immediately go into town and they start looking for Mary and Joseph and when they find them they bow down and worship this child okay now this is kind of a strange thing to have happen on a, just a standard night out in a barn somewhere and so rumors start rippling and there's this concern over well what is this really the Messiah well word gets back to King Herod and he's a bit concerned about it after all he is the king and if there's some other king coming he wants to know and of course he wants to know because he wants to kill it you know he does not want to lose his power at about the same time a great star appears in the sky and there are 
astrologers who have been watching they track the stars they uh, there's uh, was they had theories about whenever a particular star came into a certain re, uh, region of the sky that a king was to be born and so they noticed this happen and so they decided to follow the star to see where it was um, what it was over so that they knew okay who is this new king but now it takes these Magi, as we'll refer to them, they were kind of considered wise men or basically people who, uh, what would we call them today? I guess they would be kind of like people who studied the stars and then interpreted what was actually happening because of where the stars are. Um, so these gentlemen start following the star and they come to the place where the baby Jesus is, only it takes them quite a long time to get there. In fact, it takes them almost two years to get there. And during that time, of course, Jesus is growing. And Mary and Joseph have gone back to their home in Nazareth, which is where they started. That's where they were currently living when they were forced to go back to Bethlehem. So on their way, the Magi's way to go visit this new baby, they stopped off at the palace to visit King Herod and decide to ask him about the baby. Naturally, they assume King Herod uh, one of his wives had had a child and that was the new son was the, the new going to be the new king when he grew up and King Herod who hasn't had any children at that moment can't figure out what you know this this is another confirmation of the rumor he had heard so he gets really nervous about it but he says well I don't know where that child is but if you find him let me know so I can come worship him too well <laughs> That is exactly not exactly what Herod had in mind, but the Magi say, okay, fine. So they proceed on, and sure enough, they find uh, Mary and Joseph and their son Jesus in Nazareth, and they bring him gifts of myrrh, frankincense, and gold. And so Mary and Joseph are even more confirmed in their hearts that, that sure enough, this child is uh, going to be the, the next king, the savior. Now, I think that Mary and Joseph believed, even though they believed he was a special child, obviously he's the son of God, that he was going to be a uh, political ruler as well. So we see that this begins to make them very nervous. And it's about this time that the Magi, instead of going back and telling King Herod where they found the the child they're kind of warned in a dream that they should not go back that way and so they go back home a different way and don't go and tell King Herod but King Herod eventually finds out that they've been there and they found the child he just doesn't know who the child is so it infuriates him and he passes this edict that all children under the age all little boys under the age of two are to be killed so when Mary and Joseph hear about this, they hightail it to Egypt where they can keep their son safe until all this is blown over. And when it has blown over, they head back up to Nazareth again. Okay, now we're going to skip ahead to where uh, the, chi the, the child of uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah is full grown. And of course, Jesus is full grown at that time too. In Matthew 3, it talks about this, this son of Zechariah and Elizabeth called John and that John is out baptizing people and telling them to prepare for the the way for for the kingdom of God is at hand and one day Jesus comes up to John and asks to be baptized and 
uh, John the Baptist says, oh no, it's me that should baptize you. And Jesus says, no, this is to fulfill uh, my uh, promise, you know, everything that I need to do to um, glorify God. And so sure enough, as he's being baptized, um, the Spirit of God comes upon him in the form of a dove. And it, it, uh, there's a voice that those around here that says, um, this is my beloved son uh, in whom I am well pleased. And so strange events that are happening around this person, Jesus, and John, who is very much like Elijah in the Old Testament, living out in the wilderness and eating bugs and, you know, not shaving, obviously not cutting his hair. But he spends a lot of time in the water, so he probably didn't smell too bad. But we find out that um, this this John the Baptist um, gives testimony to the fact that this this is the Son of God as well. Okay, we're going to stop here until next week because there's a lot to cover. And I want to encourage you to go ahead and read Matthew up through the, uh, as far as you can possibly read. But we're going to try and cover it up through um, chapter 18. Mark through chapter 9, Luke through chapter 9, and then John through chapter 6. And I know that's a lot to read. So if, if you can't do all of that, then at least spend some time doing the reading for the homework, which is just uh, Luke 4, 1 through 13, and 5, 1 through 11. So for our study today, we will conclude by saying that we know that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he was born in Bethlehem, that he was taken to Egypt and to escape King Herod, and that he returned to Nazareth and grew up pretty much like an ordinary boy. We know that many of the events in Jesus' life were promised in the Old Testament, many of the facts we just reviewed, and that uh, that was over 400 years before all of this has occurred. We know that John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He recognized Jesus as the Messiah and gave testimony to that. And we know that Jesus is baptized, um, and God proclaims, the voice from heaven proclaims, this is my beloved son. So, so we see that um, there's signs that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the promise to Messiah. Now what we're going to find out next week is how he begins to be recognized in his ministry. And we're, I'm calling it ministry because he does not start off in as a political player. He's not um, someone who's causing a great stir. He pretty much just begins to work with some of um, John the Baptist's disciples. Now, John the Baptist had um, quite a following, and there were people who really followed him and listened to him and believed that the Messiah was coming. So when Jesus showed up and John the Baptist kind of said, yeah, I think that's him, that these people were predisposed to listen to Jesus. Uh, we will find out where they become some of Jesus' first disciples. And so we will talk about how he called his disciples. We'll talk about what Jesus went through to prepare for his ministry. And then we will begin to see... Um, what makes you know what the people are saying about him? How is it that um, he's developed or created such a stir among the people? Okay, thank you so much as always for uh, tuning in and listening to Basic Bible 101. And I'm really hoping you'll enjoy this study of the New Testament. I think you will get out of it pretty much what you put into it. So I'm hoping that you will spend as much time as you can reading these Gospels, the first part of the Gospels and that you will have the time to do the homework. 
If you have not purchased the student workbook and would like to, it's available. You can either uh, go to the link that's in basicbible101.com or now you can find it on Amazon. Although I'm not sure that the New Testament uh, student workbook is up on Amazon just yet. So you're probably better to go to basicbible101.com to be sure and find it. All right. Thank you. And I just say may the Lord bless you until our next time together. Mm -hmm.